scripture reading is found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. We'll be reading through verse 18. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through verse 18. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers do have Bibles. They stand by in the back with Bibles in hand. So if you need one, just raise your hand. They'll bring one right to you. 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 11 through 18. It's a short passage this morning. It's a short text. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. I'm going to read aloud and just ask you to follow along with me as I read. Let's start the verse before at verse 10. It says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. May God's word challenge our hearts, encourage us in walking in obedience to him. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time together. That you allow us to come together to worship you. And we come to do just that. We thank you for your truth of your word as the offering was being received and the ensemble played that psalm from Psalm 23. Even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. We think of those words, Lord, as encouragement to us as we deal with some truth and some facts that aren't always pleasant. We think of Sister Beverly and her condition, knowing, Lord, that the doctors have given her just a short time to live. And yet we are thankful that her testimony is clear. We're thankful that she has and continues to have a joy in serving you her light is bright. We thank you for that. 
Her trust in you is evident to all who see her and know her. We thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that you would be with both she and Charles as they go through this period in their life. You would provide strength, encouragement, support, and help, and that uh, reliance on you. That they might be, indeed be faithful until the end. We pray for others, Lord, who are facing challenges as well. I think of my dad who has uh, had a turn for the worse, and we just pray, Lord, that you would just continue to be with him and encourage his heart. Be with my mom as she um, cares for him, and just has the burden of his failing health with her. We just pray for encouragement in her life and in her, uh, for her and for him as well. We think of many Kathy, Lord, who is suffering as well. And we pray for her. We pray for your strength and encouragement in her life. We think of Sister Lola Spears, and she's here week after week, here again today, smiling face and all. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for giving her such a uh, consistent, um, sweet spirit through what she's going through, even though it is indeed tough and, and a challenge. And uh, we just pray for Sister Brenda Adams as she goes through a challenge in her life, Lord. We're missing today Sister Mickey, and we pray for her, Lord. You would watch over her and be with her. So, Lord, these are some of them, some of our people who are suffering physical ailments. Not all, but some. There are others, Lord. We do uh, pray for each one, Lord, Lord, that it's good to know and be reminded that we are in your hands and we trust you in that regard. Build our trust even more, Lord, so that we won't fall away, we won't stumble in this time. We pray now for your word as it goes forth today that as you have encouraged us through singing, you would do that same thing and minister to our hearts, to the true needs of our hearts through your word today. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And please be seated. Our choir comes now with special music before the preaching of God's word this morning. word of God that draws our attention to God himself, how great he is, and why we come to worship him, points us to the one who reveals who God is, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. In our series in 1 John, the writer says, I have a I am a witness of who Jesus is. I have firsthand knowledge. I've lived with him. I've walked with him. I've seen his life. I've seen his works. I've seen his miracles. God has opened my eyes to let me see and let me know who this one is. In the gospel of John, 
he declares, as the choir has declared to us, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's interesting that as Jesus came down from heaven, took on human flesh, he is often pictured in as that animal, as a lamb. And there is a reason for that, that we might understand the particulars of what God intended for Jesus. Now, I'm tying that into our text this morning. Our text is 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through 18. And in fact, in this text, the writer says, as I've told you before, I'm going to give you another one of those tests or show you what the clear evidence is for a person who has believing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is that test? In the last passage, in fact, we read verse 10 for a reason. He says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. He's, he's saying, here's one of the tests that I just explained, and he says what it is. By this it is evident who are the children of God, who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now, we dealt with that, that passage last week, and that's one of the tests. What a person does, how he lives, how he or she lives, and it says specifically practicing righteousness as a habit, as something that they do regularly. Now, he, he, issues, he, he ushers in the second test, and he says this, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So he talks about these two tests, the test of righteousness and then the test of love. So today we talk about that test of love. It is a true test indicator of those who are the children of God. But we need to understand what the Word of God says that. The, wor the world says so much about love and they know so little about love. God tells us what love is and what this test is about. He says, first of all, in verse 11, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. What is that message? That we should love one another. He says it's a message from the beginning. John is saying this Lamb of God, this Jesus, has clearly given this message from the start of his ministry. Not only from the start of Jesus' ministry, it was, it was part of his message because it's been consistent with the whole word of God. In other words, from the beginning, he's talking about the Old Testament. This has been the test of God's true people all the way from the start. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Read a few verses there. Matthew 22, verse 34. This is talking about Jesus' ministry on earth. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, 
ask him a question to test him. All right, so we know what they're doing. They're trying to, to test Jesus. In other words, they, they're, they're using deceit to try to trick him into saying something that's not true so they can make an accusation against him. Go on. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus didn't, didn't mind being very specific and summarizing what all of the word of God was speaking of. He says, this is the greatest commandment. First of all, that you should love the Lord your God and that you should love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus makes it clear that he wasn't teaching something new. He was teaching what had already been spoken of in all of the Old Testament, which was consistent with everything that he was saying. They were trying to trip him up and trying to trick him into saying something that getting him to misspeak but he didn't also I want you to know it's turned to Luke chapter 10 verse 25 another question to Jesus behold a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? When it says to put them to test, they're telling you that this is not a genuine question. This is not a question that they really want to answer. This is a trick question to try to get him to say something that's not true or to try to get him to say something that they can use against him. I get that often when I talk to people. And I don't really answer trick questions. I don't like to give them an answer. They, they, they're not interested in what the Word of God actually says. They don't believe the Word of God. So one of the first things I ask them is, do you really believe the Word of God? Because if you don't, it's, it's, that's the end of our discussion. There's not a whole lot to talk about. Now, perhaps I can convince you I'll be glad to do that. But let's not argue from the Word of God when you don't believe it. Now, if you admit you don't believe it, let me convince you that it's true. I'd be glad to do that. But let's not argue things in the word of God when you don't believe it. And so this lawyer comes up to Jesus and he says this. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, that's Jesus, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, notice his answer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Now, I, I don't believe that came from him. I don't believe it. I think he heard Jesus teaching this, Jesus' summarization of the Old Testament, and he put it out to Jesus because he knew Jesus would say, yeah, that's cool, that's good. I don't think he believed that either. Jesus didn't believe, didn't think he believed it either. Verse 27, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Look what Jesus said. He said to him, you have answered correctly. Do 
this and you will live. <laughs> In other words, the man answered his own question. Like how Jesus answers a question with a question. What does the Bible say? What does the law say? The man says it. And he says, well, you got it right. Go do it. Just go do it and live. Jesus knew something. We see that as it goes. Look at, look, he says, verse 29. But he desired to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? That's what he asked. Notice how Jesus answers him. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, poured, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Again, Jesus asked him a question. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. <laughs> the first question is, how can I, what do I have to do to, 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 to have eternal life? Jesus said, what does the law say? And he, he answered, Jesus said, you spoke well, go and do. And then the next question because he didn't like that answer. Well, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Jesus answered very simply, whoever's in need. He didn't like that answer either. He said, now go, you go and do likewise. The point is, is that Jesus taught consistently, and he had people coming to him who didn't like his answer, that we should love one another. Let's go back to the passage now in 1 John chapter 3, because the writer John gives us some specific illustration that helps us understand what it is that Jesus is speaking about. Verse 12, we should not be like Cain. We should not be like Cain. That really should be the, the title of my message today. We should not be like Cain. Now he explains what Cain, uh, what Cain was like. Clearly we know he's talking about the first man born. The first child born. The first individual born was Cain. The next one was Abel his brother. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, his brothers, we know what happened. It says, one, they both brought an offering to the Lord. Cain did not bring what God required. Abel did bring what God required. God was pleased with Abel's offering. He rejected Cain's offering. Cain became angry with Abel and killed his brother 
Abel. In fact, the passage here just tells us it cuts to the short, doesn't it? It says this. Don't be like, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. The two things he says is, first of all, Cain was of the evil one. That's an interesting thought because he's the first child ever born. And the Bible says he was of the evil one. How is it that his brother born next was not of the evil one, but Cain, in fact, was of the evil one? He says not only was he of the evil one, but he murdered his brother. Then I like what it says next. And why did he murder him? Let's look into his heart. We can do that because we have the word of God and God's revelation to look very uh, clearly into the heart of Cain. He says he murdered him. It gives a reason. Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So we should not be like Cain. Well, then what is Cain like? Cain clearly is a picture of Satan's children. Abel, then, is a picture of God's children. He's an example before so we might understand how Satan's principles operate in his people and how God's principle operates in his people. More specifically, Abel is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. How is that? Because he was put to death as an innocent person for doing what is righteous by those who were around him, who were his brothers, who hated his righteous deeds. Abel is a clear picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Cain is a picture of Satan's offspring. And when the writer is talking about how we ought to love one another, he uses the illustration of Cain to point us, guess who? To Jesus Christ. He says, don't be like Cain. What did Cain do? Cain was of the evil one. He murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his own brother's deeds were were righteous. So how does this point to Jesus very clearly? Let's take, take a look at some passages. In John chapter 7, the Gospel of John now, chapter 7. I want to walk through several passages, so I want you to turn in your Bible so you can read them. John chapter 7 is one. We'll look at several verses in this chapter. So if we skip around, you might want to put a marker in John chapter 7 because we're sure to come back to that. John chapter 7 verse 1 says this. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Okay? So we hear it clearly given. The Jews were seeking to kill him. Why were they seeking to kill him? Turn back a chapter or two to chapter 5. Verse 16 through 18. 
Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath, and he got a lot of flack for doing that. In verse 16, it says this. This is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, it's obvious that the writer (laughs) agrees with what Jesus is doing. So when he says breaking the Sabbath, he's using it from the perspective of the Jews. That's That's the reason they were giving. Was Jesus actually breaking the law? No. And he explains why later on. But that's, just, that's the, the reason or the cause that the Jews are using for this. Notice they seek to kill Jesus because of this. They have a hatred for him that goes, that, that pours over into murder, a murderous plot that they not only think, but eventually they act on and bring about. Let's go on. So in John chapter 7, verse 1, we looked at, look at verse 11 as well. In John chapter 7, it says there, The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? This is is the feast that was coming up, uh, the Passover feast and, and, and And those activities were coming up, and so the Jews knew he had to be there, and they were searching out for him, looking out for him. They wanted to kill him. Go on and then get down to verse 19. John chapter 7, verse 19. Jesus is interacting with the Jews now. He says, Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? That's a pretty strong accusation, he says, to the religious rulers of his day. You don't keep the law, and yet you seek to kill me. One of the things we know about the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not kill. Another thing it says is it says that you should have no other gods before you. In other words, you should worship, and Jesus summarized before, love the Lord your God with all, the, all your heart. Jesus says, you're not doing that. And in fact, it shows by the fact that you want to kill me. Then he goes on to explain. Look what he says. First, you got to see the crowd's reaction. Verse 20, the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? (laughs) Well, obviously, they were seeking to kill him. And yet, they deny that truth. So not only are they... Have they gone against the commandments that thou shalt not kill? They've gone against the commandments that thou shalt not lie. It's an obvious lie. Go on, verse 21. Jesus answered them, I did one work. And you all marvel at it. What work is he talking about? Chapter 5, he's talking about I healed on the Sabbath. I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcised a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? 
Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. He's saying, I haven't violated the Sabbath at all. There's a provision in the Sabbath for doing good on the Sabbath that I follow that you deny and you do not follow. And you accuse me of doing wrong. He says, you're angry with me because on the Sabbath I made made a man's whole body well. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. They weren't judging with right judgment. And they were angry and desiring, so angry they wanted to kill them. That's how wrong they were. But this point is, it needs to be taken, is that they were angry at Jesus, who was one of their brothers, and they wanted to kill their brother. They hated him and wanted to kill him. Our scripture passage says, don't be like Cain. I want you to see that the, the Pharisees and the Jews of that day were very much like Cain. They were not of God, and they wanted to kill Jesus. Why? Because his deeds were righteous, and theirs evil. We look at verse 19. Jesus exposes their sin. Remember in verse 19 where he says, Has not Moses given you law, yet none of you? keeps the law. He exposes them in their sin. What I want you to see throughout this passage is that they hated Jesus because of his righteousness and they will hate you because of your righteousness if you are in fact like Jesus. They identify themselves that way and if that in fact is true, we are not to be like those who are of Cain who hate because of righteousness. Jesus exposes them for who they are. John chapter 8, verse 37 and following verses gives us some very specific truth that bears on this point. So let's look at that. John chapter 8, verse 37. I know Jesus is speaking, he says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. I'm going to highlight here in the next several verses why they seek to kill Jesus. He said, you seek to kill me. Remember the question that we had in our text? That Cain was a murderer, and why did he murder him? Why did he kill his own brother? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. That's what it told us. Look how that is applied to Jesus. He says, you seek to kill me. You're going to give us several reasons. They wanted to kill Jesus because, verse 37 says, his words find no place in them. Verse 37, I know you are an offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. 
He gets more specific what that means. Verse 38, I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. He's saying, what I've been telling you came straight from God in heaven. I'm not speaking my own words. I'm speaking the words of God the Father. I want you to notice those who hate Jesus hate the words that come from God. They hate God's words. In other words, the, 1 John is drawing a clear line. Don't be like Cain. Now let me identify what Cain is like. Let me give you a couple examples and pictures of what Cain is like. And let me show you who Abel exemplifies. Abel is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Cain is a picture of those who follow the line of Satan, Satan's children, his descendants. And this is how they live. This is how they act. They hate the righteous one because of their deeds. They're, because the righteousness of the righteous exposes the sin of sinners. And they're hated for that. They're hated because the words of God do not abide in them. He says in verse 38. Let's look at a few other things. In verse 40, he says this. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. You ever had somebody mad at you because you tell them the truth? You seek, Jesus says, you seek to kill me because I tell you the truth. Verse 41 and 42, you are doing the work your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. They really are trying to attack Jesus. Jesus says, you're acting just like your father, Satan. And he said, well... Our father is cool. It's your father that's in question. You see, they, they don't believe that Jesus was born, yes, of Mary, but not of Joseph. In other words, he's uniquely the child, the son of God, because of the work that God did in bringing, uh, 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 bringing Mary to pregnancy before she ever was married, before she ever had any physical or sexual relationship with anybody. Of course, they don't believe that. Even though the Old Testament told them that would happen, they deny God's word. They deny the truth that's before them. He says it even stronger, verse 41 and 42, you are not of God. Jesus, verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. When we speak the truth, I often speak with, with those who, who want to say, you know, they, they want to soothe this thing and say, well, you know, let's not have a religious battle. All of us are talking about God. We all love God. We all believe in God. We, are, we all seek after God. But that's simply not true. The Bible makes it very clear. If you claim to know God and claim to, to, uh, to obey God, and yet you reject Jesus for who God says that he is, then you have nothing to do with God. Very clear. In fact, Jesus 
makes that statement and they hate him for that statement. Verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. They hated him. They wanted to kill him because his words find no place in him. Even though he spoke what came from the Father, you know, he told them the truth because they, they hated him because they were not of God and he is. They hated him. They wanted to kill him because they could not bear to hear his word. That's a strong statement. It says, listen, whenever I live out any of those characteristics, I am living out things that don't identify with the people of God, but with Satan himself. When I reject God's word. You know how people reject it? They try to slush, slush it off as, as, as being something that's not of God. Oh, that's what, what you're saying, preacher. Well, fine. If it's just what I'm saying, you can reject it. But if, in fact, it comes from the word of God, you reject it at your own peril. And that's what Jesus is saying to those who, and they want to kill him because of that. I don't preach to make people mad. It's not my motive at all. I preach the truth of the word of God. If that makes you mad, you got a problem. It often does make people mad. And they get mad at me. I'm not too much bothered by that. In fact, Jesus said, don't be surprised when the world hates you. See, God's people don't, don't respond that way. Now, I mean, God's word hits us hard, but it's a conviction. It's a conviction that begins to melt us down and say, God, I need to fall in line with your truth. It's not something that stirs up anger and causes us to reject and lash out at the one who speaks the word of God. That's what Jesus did. He spoke God's truth and they hated him. They did not rest until they put him to death. Now we got folks like that today. They don't, they don't claim to be that way. But what they do is look. They go from church to church to church rejecting what God says until they find that slot that fits in with their ear. The Bible says the last days is going to happen. You have itching ears. You only follow what you want to hear instead of hearing what thus says the Lord. Be offended. Praise God. Let it be what God has to say. Accept what God says, even though your very sinful nature goes against it. Jesus said, they, they can't bear my words. They cannot bear to hear my word, verse 43. In John chapter 7, verse 7, he says this. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. He's talking to, to when he says the world cannot hate you, he's not talking to his disciples. He's talking to his brothers. In other words, his blood brothers. The sons of Mary and Joseph. They were trying to tell him, man, you, you got to do this. You got to do that. He says, y'all really don't know what y'all talking about. And he says this, the world can't hate you, 
but it hates me because I testify about it that his works are evil. That's why they hated Jesus. You know, no matter how sweet and pleasing you may want to be, if you love God and speak the truth, you're going to say and, and point out some things that other people aren't going to like. We have a world that says you need to fit in. You need to stop talking about that. You need to stop talking about sin because you're offending people. Jesus says, the world hates me. It can't hate you, he's saying to, to those who, who are not of him. But it hates me. Why? Because I testify about it that its works are evil. In 844, it says, You are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Verse 45 But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convinces me or convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Why do I bring all of that up? In the passage in 1 John, he says this. We should love one another, but not do not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder his brother? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. He is pointing out that we love, we are to love because we follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he warns us, when you follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, the world will not accept you. He's pointing out there is love and there is hatred. There is a strong love that we live, and because of that, there's a hatred that comes out. Look, go back to our text now, 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. This ties it together. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Jesus warned about the hatred of God's people. Why are they going to hate you? You know, we sing a song, all because of Jesus. <laughs> That's the answer to that as well. <laughs> the world will hate us because it hated Jesus. So here's a clear message. In this message about love, don't misunderstand this as some gushy feeling that makes everybody think of you well and treat you well. He's not talking about that at all. In fact, when he's talking about love, his emphasis is not on how we ought to act towards people outside. 
His emphasis is on how we ought to respond to God's own people. That's where the example of Cain and Abel is especially uh, 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 powerful because Cain hated his own brother. He had just one brother and he hated him and he killed him. He would not rest until Abel's life was ended. So he says this, don't be surprised that the world hates you. That's that's a wake-up call for us. If you thought because you were a believer and trusted Christ and now he has changed your life around and that you have no ill will towards people, you don't act like you used to act, and you think people are going to treat you nicely because of that, you have misunderstood what the gospel means. Jesus is saying, the writer here, John, is saying, don't be surprised that the world hates you. In other words, wake up and look at things the way God wants you to see them. Don't be shocked at that. In another way, he's saying, look, sweet communion, don't be surprised when Satan attacks you and your people in various ways to try to move you or discourage you in some way. Don't be surprised at that. Don't let it catch you off guard that Satan is busy And he's got you in his line of sight. Don't be shocked, but he also said don't be in fear of it. Don't be surprised, he says, that the world hates you. He says hate, hatred towards you is a sure indicator of who you are. Why? Because they hated Jesus. And if you are like Jesus, you too We'll have that same reaction. <laughs> we'll get that same reaction from the world. I, I want to spend just a little time on this. I have several verses. I won't use all of them, but let's take a look at this. In John chapter 15, the Gospel of John now, chapter 15, verse 18. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. That's why Jesus is saying, don't don't be surprised here. And John picks up on that theme in 1 John and says, don't be surprised. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. John chapter 17, verse 14. Keep your finger in 15. We'll get back to that. But John chapter 17, verse 14, it says this. I have given them your word. Am I in the right one? And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus is praying to the Father. And he said, Father, I'm praying for, for all of mine. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. Why? Because they're not of the world, just like I'm not of the world. Go back to John chapter 15, verse 23. Powerful verse here. John 15, verse 23. 
Whoever hates me hates my father also. Don't forget that. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Jesus says you cannot say you are in one with the father and you hate Jesus. Now I know we got folks from other religions say we respect Jesus. Do you really? See, either Jesus is who God says he is or he's an imposter and should draw your ridicule. You can't have it both ways. Jesus said there's no way to get to, to get to heaven, to get to the Father, except through him. But he says, makes it clear, verse 23, <clears throat> whoever hates me hates my Father also. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Why do they hate him? Because his very life exposes sin. Jesus said that we ought to be light, and light tends to expose darkness. It's a, it's a character of light. Now, we, we, you know, you ever, <laughs> you ever come into a room where somebody's sleeping and accidentally turn the light on, and they're like, right? <laughs> we may... Sometimes as believers, we want to live like that. We, we want to like, okay, I'm going to turn my light down. I'm going to tone it down just a little bit so I don't offend nobody. And God says, no, that's not what I made light for. Light is to shine. We like them dimmer switches on our light to set the mood, right? So we come in the darkness and we tone ourselves down a little bit so we fit in a little better. God said, boost it up. You're not going to fit in. You're not going to fit in. You're not from here. Be who I made you to be. Shine your light. They're going to hate you. Don't be surprised at that. So he says this. <laughs> they, I've exposed their sinfulness by my own life. You know, you do that if you're a believer. Just by the fact that you love God and, and want to do what's right. And, you know, I, I work a, a job outside of pastoring, just a part-time deal. So I've, I've been there. I, I, I am in the work field. I know what that's like. And, and uh, you know, we, we had a meeting in, 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 in our little group, and they were talking. They were kidding, and, 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 and they, were, they were saying, you know, um, this is a rule. And they, 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 were, they were making some jokes about homosexuality there, um, knowing that as a Christian I stood against homosexuality. It's interesting. I've, I've never had that conversation with anybody there, but they know where I stand on that. And they, and they say things that go against exactly where you stand, and they, they know where you stand. Your very presence becomes a light. Don't be afraid of that light. Don't, don't shy away from that light. Be what God intends you to be. Now notice what Jesus says. Verse 25, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. I gave you all the reasons why they wanted to kill him, why they hated him, but the other reason is simply no good reason at all. That, you know why this is a comfort? If you're a true believer and you've been walking in the light, stop thinking you're crazy. 
You're thinking, what did I do that people don't like me? They, like, they don't like you without a cause. Jesus didn't have this thing of, I want to please everybody and I got to find out, you know, how can I be less offensive to you? He didn't do that. It didn't surprise him or shock him that as he lived the life that God intended for him to live, bunches of folks didn't like him. But he was effective for God's, for God's word and for God's truth. He was not concerned with people liking him. He was concerned with people loving the Father. And it was by his death that he was going to build, be the bridge for sinful man to have contact with the Father. They hate you because you like Jesus. Don't be surprised because of that. The reality is they don't like you for no good cause. You will never clear that up. You need to be who you are. And so back to our text, love is an indicator of God's people, but so is hate. And he's saying, in essence, if you are like me, you will be hated by the world. I was hated by the world, Jesus says. Hated so much, I was put to death for no good cause. In other words, he's saying it's beyond human reasoning. Stop, stop racking your brain trying to figure it out. It's evil. It's wicked. It's sinful. But God has set some things in motion. He's doing what he would have done. Go back to our text. Let's wrap some things up here in 1 John. He says, our love is an indicator. Verse 14. We know that we've passed, we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. It's an indicator, something we know. How do we know? We know this. Notice how he explains what happens with a person who has been born again. They have, it says here, they have passed out of death into life. They have passed out of death into life. God, in fact, has snatched, snatched them out of death and brought them into life. They have passed out of God's judgment and condemnation into eternal life in heaven. They've passed from being citizens of Satan and hell to now being brothers with the Lord Jesus Christ and all who trust in him and citizens of heaven. He says, how do you know that you passed out of death and into life? One of the reasons you know that is you love the brothers. Now, he doesn't say you love the world, even though that's an aspect of our love as well. The emphasis here is on how we treat each other, the brothers. Those who are also in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says it's an indicator. Verse 15, he goes on with that. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He says hate is an indicator too. In other words, if you like Cain, it is clear that you are not part of Christ. 
that hatred. Why does he say it that way? Because that hatred that lives in a heart even if it's not acted out yet, it's, it's, it's on the same level of one who would act it out but just hasn't had opportunity yet. Verse 16 through 18, he gives us some practical examples and application to this love. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. It says, God has shown us what love really looks like. He is Jesus. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus was put on the cross and put to death so that those who trust in him, you, you and me, might have eternal life. We might be cleared from the judgment of our own sin. Jesus suffered on the cross so that we could have life. He loved us and so therefore he acted. He gave his life for us. He didn't just say he would give his life, he actually did it. God didn't just say that he required it, God made it mandatory and absolutely necessary. Jesus had to not just be willing to give his life, he literally had to die on the cross for our sins. He says, that's how I'm showing love. Then he goes on to say the, what ought to happen as a result of that. Because he gave his life for us, we ought to, what? Lay down our lives for the brothers. He, notice he doesn't just say we ought to be willing to do that. He doesn't just say you ought to have an attitude that's willing to do that. That's clear you ought to be willing to do it. He says you ought to actually, you, you, you ought to lay down your life. Now, I don't, I don't, we can't lay down our lives for each other in the same sense that Jesus did because he did it to pay for sin. He's the righteous one that paid for the guilty, those who would trust in him. Nobody is going to be free of sin for the life that I give. But what he's saying then, though, is that I ought to give my life, though, for the brothers. What does that mean in a practical way? It means my life ought to be, it ought to be poured out in service to those who belong to Christ. I ought to give myself, I ought to surrender myself, I ought to, I ought to give up of myself for God's people. Let, let, let me make that practical. Well, so many people say, well, you know, I'm not really part of a church I don't think that that's important. Really. You don't think living in communion with God's people is important enough as an indicator of who you truly are. We say, yeah, I ought to give my life for God's people, but I don't really want to even be around them on a regular basis. That's what we say when we say, I don't need to be a part of church. It's too much mess there. It's too, yeah. You know what? Living in family is a mess. Got to share the same bathroom, right? 
You got to put up with other people's mess and, and, and their, not only their troubles, but their, their dirt and, and, and all the things that, that come about living on a regular basis. We know what that's all like. I don't have to get too detailed there. But living is, is, is not always uh, clean and neat and simple. It's a mess. It says we love each other enough we're going to come and, and be a mess together. Amen. We, we, we're going to work through the difficulties of life together. We're not going to abandon one another because it's easier for us. We're going to come and live in a community that God intends for us to. What, what other way can, how can you justify loving someone without being willing to go through life with them? So he says, be willing not just be willing, but to lay down your life. Sacrifice yourself for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, that's what I call you to do. And so he says, in a practical way, verse 17, when anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He says, we can't say we love each other if we're not willing to care for genuine needs of God's people. You know, too often, we give to all these other little things and everything. You know, the world asks you to give out of guilt. God asks you or demands that you give out of love. And he asks you to minister first to within, in your family, your church family, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and then from there reach out beyond. But you can't reach out beyond if you don't have integrity and, 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 and a regular pattern of practicing that within. It'd be like me um, mistreating my wife but trying to show respect to another woman. You would call me a hypocrite, and my wife would too. But he says, first, have integrity within. Build that the way that God intends for that to be built within. Minister to one another in a genuine way. I like what he says here. He says this, <clears throat> verse 18, little children, let us, and little children is not a demeaning term. In fact, it's an it's, it's a endearing term. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Indeed means action. Love is action and not mere words or mere talk. He says, let's, let's put away the platitudes and live out in truth. Let's practice it on a regular basis amongst ourselves. You notice throughout this passage, he talks about brothers, 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 brothers. He's talking about our family relationship. He's talking about brothers and sisters and the union they have as family, as one born from the same offspring, same father, same parent. As I said, the emphasis is on there, not on people outside of the family, not that we shouldn't be nice or shouldn't be kind, we should, but the emphasis is on how we treat 
one another. Notice what Jesus was pointing out when he spoke and what John is pointing out again. He says, the world responds with hatred because sin is exposed. Let that not be the same way within God's people. It cannot be that same way. As we deal with each other, as light exposes wrong, there's a whole different reaction. Think about this. What should Cain have done? I don't know what the conversation between Cain and Abel was, if any at all. Cain killed Abel because he hated his righteous deeds. What should the interact, what should Cain have done? What he should have done is saying, I realize because of my brother that I'm out of line. Thank you, brother, for setting a right example before me. Let me not be bitter and angry at you because you've done right. But let me thank you for the path that you've set for me and let me correct myself. That's what he should have done, but he was not of God. He was of Satan himself. And instead of correcting, he lashed out in anger. Do you see that pattern in your life? How do you respond to God's word? Jesus says, they hate me because none of my word is in them. When God's word is in you, how do you respond to God's rebuke and his challenge from him, from his word, even though it comes from the mouth of his own people? Are you responding there? So as we look at how God wants us to respond, as we close this service today, I want to challenge you there that you show yourself to be a child of God and how you respond to God's people in a love. We're not talking about a mushy, gushy, buying gifts, one another love. That's fine if you want to do that, but it's even more practical than that. It's how we get along on an everyday basis how we treat each other because of what God has done, the work that God has done in our hearts. Let's bow our heads and close our service today. This love is an indicator. And so if you're a true believer, it indicates and brings conviction. At the same time, it indicates and brings comfort. But if you're not a believer... It indicates something else. And it's how you respond to that that is very critical. God wants you to know you can't love like this on your own. God has to do a work within you. It can't come from you. It comes from him. And God wants you to submit that to him and say, God, I want to be like Jesus, but only you can do that work in me. Save me. Cleanse me and forgive me of my sin. And I recognize you do that only by what Christ, what Jesus has done on the cross in paying for that sin. If you're a believer, God has convicted you of some areas, would you just say yes to it? Don't fight it. Say yes. Lord, what would you have me to do? 
If God is challenging you in some areas not to be discouraged, not to be surprised when you're mistreated and to react rightly to those things, would you accept that as well? Would you say, God, help me, show me, strengthen me so I don't get discouraged along the way. I don't fall down to discouragement, but I'll battle this the way you want me to. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that you administer through your Holy Spirit, bring about the challenge, the comfort that you desire in the heart of your people. Bring about salvation in those who are being drawn to you right now. They might trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. They might let someone know that they're trusting in Christ today. We can show them what it is you require of your children, how they ought to grow in you and be a part of your family. Speak to hearts individually, specifically right now through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Before we close our service, as you contemplate how God would have you to respond, I'm going to ask my wife if she join me in the back. Think for a moment. This word that God has given me today, what does he want me to do with it? How does he want me? What challenge has he given me? How does he want me to live? Donna, would you join me in the back? Brother Cliff Hill, would you close us in a word of prayer?